You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Hey, thanks, Bob. Welcome to the Felony Inc. Podcast, live from downtown Portland, Oregon. I'm Dave Dahl, and I'm best known for my killer bread. That product would never have happened if I hadn't flipped the script in prison and embarked on a journey of redemption. And hell, if I can do it, anybody can. Anybody can, right? If they're willing to do the necessary hard work, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Change isn't easy. Transformation is a motherfucker. I love it when it happens, and that's why I do this show. I get to talk to inspiring go-getters like this week's guest, Zach Nolan. And today we have a guest co-host replacing Lad. Oh, God, I'm so happy about that. Who <laughs> <laughs> will be back next week. Um, Todd Brown, a past guest on this show, also known as T.W. Brown, author of the Zomblog Zom Trilogy. You're going to have to explain some of this stuff, but yeah. not just yet. Then I'm gonna, let me let me get through this. Um, Zomblog Trilogy, which I think is 12 books. <laughs> it's six right now, so it's a double trilogy, but hey, I love that. The Dead series, and like most of the guys, uh, by the way, that's a zombie series, and like most of the guys I've met on this show, that's just the beginning, uh, he qualified as a guest a couple of months back by serving 10 years in the Oregon correctional system. Uh, you know, the things that people will do to get on this show. Hey, thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back in here and just kind of hang out. You guys have, like, blown up since uh, before. You've got all the professional ad stuff going on, and uh, it's, uh, it's like a real program now. Yeah, well, we still suck, but we, we're giving it our best <laughs> shot, you know. The thing about, the one thing we can say about us is that we're real, you know. This is just us doing our best, and what makes this show good is the guests. Um, and... You know, that's what, that's what I'm really about. Well, you know, Todd, give us a little bit of a rundown about what you've been up to. Uh, besides, t I took a break from writing a little bit ago um, just to get my production sites up and rolling because I started an audio production company. And no, because of knowing that my zombie stuff would someday maybe completely come to an end, it depends on the pop culture thing. That's the realist, but, the realist yeah, in you. Yeah, I gotta have something that you know, gotta have a safety net. So I started a production company and I produce audio books, and so now it's I'm coming up on sixty plus titles that have been produced. I try to get one out about every eight to ten days, and now I get paid reading other other people's work. I, I think that Lad's been uh, really enjoying your your work. Um, but anyway, that's kind of an, it's kind of an inside joke. I don't know how far we want to get into that. Woof, woof. <laughs> so uh, anyway, and you know, I've I've been to your house and uh, I enjoyed that. There's there's lots. You know, you're like me. You 
you wear your heart on your sleeve at your house. Uh, you see, we see who you are, and uh, you're basically this uh, this this crazy dude, man. It's got a lot of interests, and uh, and he's very passionate about life. I, I just. You know, I, and I wasn't before, and I think that's one of the things that time, you know, doing time really sort of instilled in me is an appreciation for every day and every moment mm. on this side of things. And yeah. so now I've learned more about living to do and chase the dreams that I wanted. So versus, you know, doing what it. somebody else wanted me to do. Right. And you don't have time for that. Mm. Uh, you did that for 10 years, kind of. Yeah. Was it ten years? <laughs> it was thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and and it's uh, once you get to that point, you know, time all melts together. It's just one great big episode of Groundhog's Day. So that's right. You and know. you didn't die. Nope. And uh, in fact, you got better while you were in there. And that's really what the show's about. It's like, can you? You know, you can, but can you um, overcome your own bullshit and? become the best you can be when take advantage of the opportunities to get if, if it happens to be 13 years in prison are you what are you going to do about it you know are you going to sit around and blame uh, the system blame corrections officers i mean you can do that sure and there's plenty of blame to go around but it's really about you right right and that's you know living in that mindset it's just about guaranteeing yourself a return trip and if you get in there and really quickly realize this is not where you want to be, then it's a matter of doing what it takes to make sure that that's not where you're at. Yeah, and while you were in there, you did a lot of—you uh, actually were writing books, writing stuff, you, um, and you actually had a book published in, while you were in there, I believe. Yeah, three of them. Three I, of them. My first three came out while I was still inside, and then I just hit the ground running because I had— Two ready almost within a month and a half of my my release because they were wrapping up and um, and then within four months of that I quit my quote day job which was a night job throwing papers yeah but uh, to to do it full time and, and I remember you uh, found your house by throwing papers yes the, the the house that I thought I would never live in the neighborhood of when I was uh, throwing them out there and that little teeny suburb of Estacada, and it's it's now the house I live in. You You're know? kind of uh, exceeding your dreams, almost. Exactly. That is that is really great to hear. And speaking of exceeding dreams, uh, there's a guy in our studio who I am just, uh, you know, I'm kind of pinching myself because um, his story is pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, if there's somebody, he's only 34 years old, and, and when you realize what he, he's, 33. 33. Correction number one yeah. coming. <laughs> and when you realize what he's done, and when he's 33 years old, you're like, okay, there's no excuses, dude. You just got to get up and do your shit. So, hey, here we go. Zach Nolan is the proprietor of PDX Contractors, right here in where? Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay, good, PDX. At 13, Zach got, got expelled from school for getting busted selling weed. From there, it was an in and out of detention and treatment centers for most of his teenage years. He got busted for meth at 19, which I believe was his only adult conviction. Am I right? Yes. I had two. Twice. I had it happen one two of those. month. And, yeah. Okay, so real, was, real, yeah. real close to each other. Yeah, but you were starting out. You were starting on a bad place, yeah. on a bad road. Around that time, uh, at the age of nineteen, he experienced what he calls a moment of clarity. Um, he wasn't out of the woods yet, but he was starting down the path that would get him there. While in recovery, he found a new hustle, 
flipping cars and eventually started fixing up houses and began providing his own recovery beds. Interesting. He now has over 100 beds for people who are getting a new start. There has been nothing easy about this journey. Am I right, buddy? No, not yeah. at all. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, Mr. Zach Nolan. Uh, thanks, Dave. I um, would like to start off that I'm really grateful to be here, and I'm glad that people are going to get a chance to hear my story because I'm sure that some people out there really do need to hear it, uh, especially around my age bracket. There's a lot of people still out there making mistakes and uh, getting incarcerated and about to spend a lot of time. Um, so, You uh, should be speaking like reg- regularly to at-risk kids, I think. Yeah. Have, has, have you been invited to do that yet? I've, I've went to... Uh, Donnelly Long, I don't know if you know, that's yeah. a detention center oh, yeah. here in Portland. I, I went back a few years ago and, 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 and uh, shared. I, I spent a lot of time there myself, actually, mm-hmm. growing up. So, um, That's uh, in Gleason or Halsey? Or yeah, it's Portland? over off of Gleason, I believe. 68, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I... I've actually gone out and seen some of the, some of your work. So, but let's get back to let's actually start out start out when you were young. Did I get you kind of right? Uh, kind of, yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, probably um, for people to understand that one of the most impactful things was that when I got arrested when I was 13 in school selling weed to my friends, it wasn't really like I was a drug dealer at that point. I was um, just a cool kid, just having fun. And I decided to bring some pot to school and give it to friends in exchange for money. So I got caught doing that. They gave me two class A felonies for that, kicked me out of school. I lost all my friends in in that day, in that moment. Mm. And um, they weren't allowed to hang out with me or do anything like that. So um, bad influence. I, I was a bad influence, exactly. And um, so they uh, expelled me. Um, and I did, when I was at home, there wasn't a whole lot for me to do. I mean, you take a, a child's schooling away and... Uh, you know, that's, what are they going to do, it just, right? It so, doesn't seem to be the last backwards to me. Yeah, so uh, I started socializing with the wrong people, and um, that's, uh, that's been um, a huge struggle for a lot of people is actually socializing with the wrong people. And I got connected with other people that were already kicked out of school or dropped out. Or older guys. Older guys that were you couldn't even go to school anymore or um, that were being criminals. And uh, I found selling weed, uh, that was my reputation. The school gave me this great (laughs) reputation, so I used it in my advantage, and uh, I was kind of an entrepreneur before that, you know, hustling, doing lawn jobs. Hustling (laughs) (laughs) Kool-Aid. Not Kool-Aid, but... and, and I was working jobs. I mean, I was working by, before that even happened. I was working at 12. I was doing two jobs, working on a nursery and working at a restaurant. And that was back in uh, Kentucky or something? No, this was in Oregon. Oh, okay. This but was you, you, right after I moved to out Oregon. Out in Canby? Yeah, out in Canby, Oregon. Okay. Um, it's hard to keep up with all, all the <laughs> stuff. You, you, yeah. I know a story for someone, like I said, when I, when I met you, is I was expecting someone so much older, but as I read the bio... And I started doing the math. I was like, wait a minute. This guy's awfully young. This is a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't stayed still very long throughout my entire life. Yeah. Um, we kind of moved around. Uh, and but you then, couldn't have done any of this. You couldn't have done this on drugs, you know? No. You, you, I know you haven't been perfect, but uh, you, you've, for the most part, been pretty clean. Yeah. 
Yeah. You don't, don't, even drinking is not a... Is not one of your. Uh, you don't do a lot of drinking. Maybe you drink. You drink a little I, bit. I was now. actually practicing controlled drinking there for a little bit uh, yeah. in the last few years, but uh, I decided I didn't really like doing that. I didn't really desire uh, altering my my state of mind and and not being myself. Um, so, uh, anyways, uh, the the path that I had as a teenager it snowballed from that effect of getting caught and being charged and treated as a criminal but I ran with it and I didn't want to be told what to do and I wanted to be I felt like a little man right I kind of my mom was a single mom I raised myself and up to that point I didn't really have a whole bunch of guidance and then all of a sudden they want probation officers and then my mom and stepdad actually try to be parents to me and I'm like I've been doing everything myself so why would I listen now? And uh, I, w- I went the other directions with it, and I, I just kept on hustling and, and doing that. And soon I became uh, custody of the state of Oregon, and um, they they took me away. They tried to send me to treatment. When I got to treatment, I ran. Uh, that became the constant thing that I did. Over I would just ta- take off, and uh, I was a runner. And, um, Doing treatment on the ex- installment plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And every time I went back to treatment, they would tell me that I'm going to go for longer. And so it's like, just <laughs> kind of, I was like, well, I wasn't going to stay when it was only 90 days. It's 120 now. I'm not going <laughs> to. At some point, this. though, that changed, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, had enough. Yeah, it did. So um, basically, I, I also got a couple uh, felonies for unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. And what uh, was that? What, tell us about that. Um, did you steal cars, or did you end up with stolen cars? Or what? Not really. I, I stole my parents' cars oh. and, and friends' cars. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'd borrow it, and then I wouldn't come back for days. Uh, the unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, I put a car in a ditch. We couldn't get it out. And the people <laughs> we asked to help us get us out called the cops, and, it, yeah, it's what happened. <laughs> uh, I was going to return the car. Knuckle, knucklehead stuff. Yeah, yeah knuckle, <laughs> knucklehead stuff. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 19, uh, I had been released from the juvenile system, did well for a few months, then fell back into old friends, old behaviors, and was doing meth. And um, I had been doing meth before, but it, I would go to jail so often, I wouldn't have really long runs. Mm. So when I got arrested for meth at 19, I had a good solid year that I was I was doing that. And so... Um, then I, when I got arrested, they wanted to put me back on probation. I didn't go check in. Then a month later, I'm on the street getting caught again mm-hmm. with another felony for drug possession. And um, I, uh, I, it didn't stop there either. They just would keep releasing me. And but uh, no new charges after that. No new charges after that, except for the and absconding escape. escape charge, <laughs> yeah. which I got while I was on sounds the bracelet. Pretty, sounds crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Sounds uh, like a real hard criminal. <laughs> you know, dug dug a, a tunnel, and you know. Well, yeah. Back then, I wanted to, you know, make it sound really yeah. cool. And so I was like, yeah, <laughs> I, I got an escape it, beef. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been running and, and jumping fences all these years. I yeah. deserve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so I, I got that, and then that was the day that I had the moment of clarity in the back of the cop car uh, overlooking the field. I got been arrested in front of my mom because mm. um, it was at home. She was crying. You were crying. She was crying. I wasn't crying. I didn't get real teary, but it always really affected me to get arrested in front of my mom. It had happened a few times, 
But um, every time it just really, really Especially hurt. when you're kind of telling them, hey, I got this. Uh, you know, I'm running this. And here you are getting busted. And, you know, you, you're no longer, you, it, sound, it seems pretty good. Like you got this figured out and then you really don't. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, you're so young at that point. At 19, I hadn't even started getting in trouble yet, you know? I hadn't even figured out, hey, how to get in trouble. I was, like, uh, shoplifting and doing stupid shit like that <laughs> when I was that age. Um, and I finally figured out how to be a really hard criminal, you know, armed robberies and stuff by the mid-20s. So, uh, yeah, I was, I, I was really proud of myself for a minute. But... Uh, so anyway, you're night. It's not about me, is it? Is it <laughs> so you're you're 19, and uh, and you have this moment of clarity, and then what happens? So I went to uh, Clackamas County Jail for a couple months. They released me to work release, and I served work release for four months. Um, while I was there, it was uh, it was kind of a battle to stay because I'd been running for so long, and that was my pattern. Um, I remember just praying and not even really believing in a faith or anything at all, uh, but just praying at night on my bunk bed, you know, that this this uh, anxiety of staying and, and just staying put would pass because I my desire to run and just go do my own thing was just so great. It was what I had always done. And so I had a really hard time, but I did make it through that and it, it did get easier and I, and I made it through that program. And um, when, I, when I got out of that program, I did move back to Cambia. I moved back to my old stomping grounds, back into the house with my mom. And I was only there a really short amount of time before a friend in uh, Portland was like, hey, you should come live in my Oxford house. Uh, there's a bunch of cool guys here. And I, I knew myself that I, I wasn't going to continue to last. I had a really bad reputation in that town. All the wrong people knew me. It was just going to be really easy for me to slip up. And, and you did. Uh, Right, I didn't that time. No, I didn't. eventually, so, eventually, you got back into it, right? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, That's sort of what I'm waiting on. I'm, I've got some questions once you get to that part of your story. Uh, okay, so, so I move into this Oxford house. That's where my idea of recovery housing came from. I thought right. it was a great concept. It really taught me a lot of things about. Uh, becoming a man, taking care of myself, going to the grocery store. Yeah. I, I was watching my roommates buy groceries and bring them home, and I'm like, oh, well, those uh, pre-wrapped burritos look pretty good, so I'm going to yeah. go buy me some of those. So you, uh, and you're, just, you're just beginning to see that you can become part of the solution, and being part of the solution helps you uh, stay out of trouble. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so you got... Uh, Okay, Todd wanted to hear when you got to the next uh, fuck to, up. To my relapse? <laughs> yeah. So I um, I had from 19 to, uh, I believe, 23, 24, I, I had over four and a half years sober, clean sober. Uh, three years I decided I was going to try to sell pot again. It didn't really work out, uh, and for good reasons. I mean, I was... I bought a few pounds of weed. I was going to sell it to some friends. I did that, and I just felt myself slipping in the wrong crowd. And I was like, man, this is just not where I want to go. I don't want to go back to the life I used to have. So I really struggled with that because as an entrepreneur, I wanted to do things for myself. I wanted to make extra income. I wanted to have a side hustle. And I think this is where a lot of guys, they need to know that they need to realize this is a problem because people don't look at it like that like they they think that's where their mind takes them and so 
They don't think I can do something different Plus to make money and have a hustle. It's not a terrible, it's not like a, a vicious crime or something, you know. In fact, it's sort of legal now. It's legal now, I mean, but back then it was not. <laughs> and, and, and they were going to send me to prison if they caught me. Bad so timing, bad timing. Yeah, really bad timing. Now, was this, did this waterfall start? Because I know that there was a relationship at that time that sort of went sideways on you. Was that during the same period or shortly before, shortly after? You just, you just sort of dipping your toes back into the selling again? Yeah, so I was uh, I had been in a relationship for three years uh, with this girl, and um, it wasn't going well. It came to an end, and so I was just kind of trying to figure myself out and, you know, reinvent myself. And I'd been in recovery for so long. I, I never had legally drank at a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was trying to figure out where I was at. I was driving a really flashy car. My license plate actually said felony on it because mm-hmm. that was my nickname. Uh, and, and I'm sitting here wow. three years you were sober. Able, you, were able to, <laughs> you were actually able to get that um, plate. Yeah. It was spelled F, like yeah, it really spelled. Yeah, felony. Felony. Oh and and f- you didn't get I still have more random pullovers than most oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, exactly, I was asking for it. And uh, that's where my mentality was, even after three or four years of recovery in the first time. Um, that was your identity. That was still my identity. I was still wearing baggy clothes, kind of looking like a little thug and kind of thinking I'm kind of gangster and uh, still had that ego going on. And well, you've come a long way there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I have to make a little break for our sponsors. Take care of those guys. Uh, Todd, you want to do the honors? Yeah, let's talk about the CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them that Dave, and this week you can say Todd, sent you, and we'll send you a special surprise. Seriously, we will. Yeah, and that's not no bullshit because uh, I met Dan last week. He, he's the big guy, the big boss man, I think, over there, and great guy. He's about he's, he's about as tall standing up as he is laying down. But uh, <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We interviewed him. He stepped up in a, a time when we didn't have a guest. Um, anyway, we won't go into that. We got better <laughs> things to talk about. So where were we at? Okay, so. Um with my ego <laughs> being uh, three or four years in recovery, um, I decided I had bought my first house. I was working uh, a union job, learning construction. Uh, so I was making a good wage. The crash happened. I was able to get a really good deal on the, the house that I bought. And um, so I, I have this three-bedroom house in southeast Portland. And uh, I, I was— Do you still have that one? I do not. Okay. I sold it in 2016. I'm sorry I didn't interrupt. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I had this house, and, um, you know, at this point, I had a lot more going on than people that age. You know, I had nice cars. Things were paid for. I had a, bought a house, and uh, I was just kind of venturing back in, trying to grow a social crowd, and I was like, well, I'm going to start drinking. And, uh, you know, this will work for this thing I'm creating here with this this group sure. of people. and It's just part of the it's scene. It's just it, casual drinking. It, yeah, right? it's just casual drinking, and then casually an eight ball of Coke ends up on the table. <laughs> yeah, but what, and let me ask you this. Where are the guys who are really into that lifestyle going? You know, are, are there some of those that are really successful? 
No, yeah. and not that I know. Okay. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I always had this uh, this thought. I don't know about everybody else that you know. There's this Pablo Escobar and Scarface, and <laughs> you know that's who I'm gonna be. No, no. That's oh, my, no. <laughs> you know, you get a, a, a fat wad of cash and some drugs, and uh, you think you're you're balling. You think you're rich. And then the cops come and bust you or somebody robs your ass. And you got and, nothing. And you got nothing. <laughs> you, yeah, you got nothing at all. Dog, baby, I know. <laughs> Been there, done that. You know, I wanted to sort of revisit the moment when you were thinking about going back into dealing. You said that you got a hold of your sponsor. Yeah. Uh, I think Blake Mark Z was his name. Yep, Mark Z. Now, Zimbo. In your, in, in your bio, you finished getting rid of all the product and, and moved forward. Was that his advice, or did he say ditch it and step out of it now, or was that just more your decision because you didn't want to take the hit? Well, uh, he he listened to me. Um, he kind of talked to me about it. Just He had another sponsee that uh, was friends of mine and knew what was going on, so he knew what was going on. And uh, I was able to talk to him about it and talk it out, and he just gave me a direction of, like, you know, this isn't probably something that's good for you and uh i don't remember the conversation exactly because that was a long time ago but he was he was always supportive um and making the right decision and and working a program and i was when i talked to him about it i was breaking down and i was starting to cry because i was like i don't know really why i'm doing this like i have this idea i'm trying to control this social life i'm trying you know i'm have this pain from this relationship this breakup and I'm doing things that I normally wouldn't do and things that could lead me down paths that I don't need to be going down. So um, I, I knew the answer myself, but he helped me navigate, you know, by letting me talk to him and just offering good advice. And he's quite a bit older, and, uh, boy, he's been through a lot, too. So, I um, mean, I know that guy. I know it was him. He's, uh, he was my celly for one day in prison before, <laughs> before he PC'd up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but uh, amazing turnaround story in, in, on his own. And um, so anyway, you had great support, and your next moves were what? Well, out of that, uh, my so he, Mark Z was actually flipping cars yeah. on the side. and um, I knew him then. I was working uh, at that exact moment right before I got into construction. Uh, I was working at a wrecking yard, and so he would take me to auctions, and I start buying cars from auctions and I had accessibility to cheap parts so I started fixing up cars and flipping them myself um, and I that was that became my new thing mm-hmm. and it wasn't going to put me in jail and it wasn't I was I didn't feel like I was going to lose everything and it gave me that excitement that chase of like going to get something then posting it for sale and getting a phone call and dealing with the customer and and so it was Did you a get a really dealer's good license and stuff? Or you, no. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think, <laughs> so, I didn't you, think you, so. You kept the thrill of the side hustle, but you made it legitimate. It, not quite. Not quite. I did not have a dealer's license. Semi-legitimate. <laughs> yeah. Semi- it, nothing he could go to, uh, nothing he could get in trouble for, uh, like, it was no felony going right. on. Right. They wouldn't have sent me to jail over right. it. I would have been just... fined, or they would have told me I need to get my dealer's license. Right. Yeah. The IRS eventually. If you got too successful, the IRS would be out your ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But but you uh, had enough success at this that um, it kept you going for a while. And yeah, I think you had another job, too. 
didn't you? Yeah, I was working uh, as a union operator, operating heavy equipment, and um, so uh, that was making pretty good money. I mean, I was making almost 30 bucks an hour, and I'm 24 years old, you know? Was that working for Zim or with Zim? No, he's non-union. He's a paver. Oh. Uh, he operates a paving machine, but uh, I was working for the union, so I was mm-hmm. doing heavy commercial construction. I did some projects in uh, the Pearl District, some hospital projects. Uh, this is kind of important, too, for listeners who um, need to know the important things. You not only, I mean, you weren't, you didn't just jump into this entrepreneurship. You did what you had to do. You had a job. Um, some people, that's all they really are ever going to have. And, and that's great. I mean, you could have done just fine doing that, right? Yeah, I could have. They had a good, great retirement and all that, but it just never really appealed to me to work my entire life. (laughs) Yeah. You're not that guy. I mean, some people, not everybody can be an entrepreneur, but you are um, such a case, just like me and Todd, and um, probably, you know, Alan at some point. This is my small business right here. Yeah. Well, you, you get so used to it after a while, right? So I had to hustle and take care of myself as a teenager, and uh, even though I, I had to go into the workforce when I got sober um, to provide for myself, uh, it just, I never really lost it. Uh, so I always knew that I had to drive behind me to take care of myself and, and gather stuff and collecting a, a paycheck every couple of weeks or every week. Uh, just, it was good. I was making good money. So I made good choices to get better jobs. Mm-hmm. When I first got clean, I was making $7 an hour and it was a really dirty, dirty job, sanding yeah. down cars for an auto body shop. Uh, but I I enjoyed it because it was mm. teaching me things. Um, Under the table, I bet seven bucks. No, this oh, is while I was on work release, so yeah. mm. I, I I can't remember what the minimum wage was. Maybe it was seven twenty five back then. Um, it, but I didn't pay enough to even pay off my court fines or or anything like that. So it's not a living wage. It's <laughs> not a living wage. Now, of course, seven dollars back then was more than it is now, but um, it's and it wasn't that long ago. Really? Yeah, that so was. I, it's hard to believe seven bucks. Two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. So uh, that sounds like jail money, <laughs> <laughs> almost. Yeah. So uh, then, now you're flipping cars. You're working as a heavy equipment operator. Um, you know that that might be enough for some people. Yeah. So uh, so we're at the time period where I kind of slipped up and decided to start drinking again, mm-hmm. and then I. Ended up hanging out with some people on the weekends, and they would like to do coke after they start drinking and all that. And uh, I was falling into that, so I decided to get sober again. Um, so I had this, I've had this little period um, before where it, I'm like teeter tottering where I want my line to be. Right, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a back out and being strung out on drugs or doing anything like that. I don't want to be anywhere near any methamphetamine and, 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 and alcohol drugs. <laughs> and drinking the booze or whatever didn't really, uh, didn't make you go, oh shit, I'm going get to some, get some dope, you know? No, but it was starting to be like, hey, I'm going to get some coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I knew that was a problem. Um, and so I, I, I decided to get sober again and I, I stayed sober again for another uh, almost five years the next time. Um, and during that time, when I got sober again, 
that's when I turned my the house that I'd bought into my first recovery house. And I'd done some construction to it. I kind of remodeled the kitchen, re- did a little remodel in the bathroom, and I turned the garage room into two bedrooms and a laundry room. And you were how old? 20 what? 25, I think, <laughs> at that point. Listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anybody else you know who's done this? Uh, not at, at my that age. Not at that age. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not at that age. So, um, so go ahead. So... Uh, I turned this into a recovery house. I'm, I'm new into recovery again. Um, I have less than a year. I, I ran into these two houses in North Portland uh, that were huge projects. One's 11 bedrooms. The other one's 20 bedrooms. And these houses were in really bad disrepair. They weren't finished. They had fire damage in them. They had vandalism that had happened to them. They'd been sitting there vacant for over 10 years. And people had busted windows and there was paint that was in the house that was going to be used to paint. And they, some kids took this paint and just like put it all over all the walls and all the windows and just kind of had a heyday in there. And, uh, I made a deal with the owner that I would do the work and, uh, he would help me pay a certain amount for materials and I would fix these houses up and then it would be on an owner carry contract, uh, to, uh, to purchase these properties. And, um, so I, I took it up. It was a really great opportunity for me, uh, to grow that recovery house business. Right. And I, I had to quit my union job because I, I attempted to hire a friend and, uh, have him manage it, but it, it just was too much going on. And, um, so I had to quit my job to, to carry these projects out. And it took me six months. I was... Uh, six months of really hard work. Yeah, I took one day off that entire six months, mm-hmm. and it was to go snowboarding. And um, I think I, I was living in these houses on the floor, so I'd wake <laughs> up out of the sleeping bag and like, it. roll across some dirty, dusty floor. It didn't have carpet. It was wood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and then get up and keep working. I'd do that for 16 hours a day. Finally, I got a cot because it's much better on your back. Uh and I carried that those projects out. I almost went bankrupt over it. I didn't have much money to begin with, but I had some money that I'd saved from flipping cars and from my job uh, that helped carry me through it. And um, it took six months. And when I finished them, uh, before I could even finish filling the second house, I had an opportunity. A guy called me and said, hey, I have this house over off of Foster. Uh, it needs some work. We got to do some work. Would Would you like to get in here? I'll let you in without a security deposit, and you can rent it out for your organization. And so I took him up on that, and things just kind of. Can you tell me the organization? Mountain View Recovery. Okay, that's the name of our organization. Oh, okay, that's right. Okay, now you. Where in the hell did you learn? Uh, the perspective that you had to be able to do this. I mean, most people would just be like. Uh, Oh, most people would be just like, you know, how, uh, forget this, I wouldn't do this. It's too much work and, you know, I don't know where the reward is. You know, so most people would be like that. Well, I, I think I have a, um, a talent to uh, forecast a vision for myself and see the reward at the end. Um, it doesn't always work out the way that I imagine it to be. And, uh, but... You know, I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to have residual income, and my desire was great enough that I'd actually take the risk in going to do all this stuff. And you had some—do you believe this was an innate, like, 
you were born with this way, or do you think that something along the way uh, got in you? Uh, honestly, I think it was just a, a matter of time of small changes, um, just like anything else. Uh, being having to take over my life at 13 and and really starting to run the streets and having to take care of myself that really forced a lot of stuff into me at adulthood and <laughs> um and and uh work ethic work ethic work ethic um i i don't uh when people observe situations as really risky situations if they can't physically harm me I assess the risk in a different way than yeah. most other people do. Well, because you you are proactive about it. I mean, it's not you. It's all on you. You know that. It's like, hey, I can take the power here and make this happen. Yeah. So the risk is all up to you, in a way, right? Oh, exactly. You know. I mean, there's there's going to be issues that aren't aren't in your control, but basically, you're taking the bull by the horns, and you believe in yourself. Oh, absolutely. I, so when there's been some really tight spots I put myself in as far as financial risk. Uh, and one of the things that I remember while I'm, you know, worried about this deal or the reward just, you know, could be high and it could bankrupt me. But I, I think back to the time where I got out of work release and the only thing I owned back in 2004 was a trash bag of clothes that smelled like dirty cigarettes. And that's what was dropped off to me at work release. And so I look back to that and, you know, people, this risk that I'm taking you can't take everything that's important to me because that's all internal, right? Yeah. So I know that that's all I started. You really had left. I, that's I, I started with nothing. I mean, yeah. you count that as something, then you add that's value a lot. to that. <laughs> there's actually a hell of a lot. That's there's nothing more valuable than that, in my opinion. Um, and you know, you start with your back against the wall. When people say entrepreneur, you're taking risk, you're taking these huge risks. Well, really, you're, in a sense, because you know this is the best thing for you to do. This is what you want to do, and what are you going to lose if you fail? Yeah, nothing. You know? <laughs> I have nothing to lose. <laughs> so, so there's, uh, yeah. How did you stair step your skills? Because if you did all of this, you did most of this work, if not all of it, on these first couple of houses by yourself. Absolutely. So where did you find, where did you gather all the knowledge? Because, I mean, I, I would look at that same situation and I would be completely lost. I mean, most of us would. So yeah. I, I can sweep a floor, but don't ask me to replace a right. railing in a house. Or a light bulb. Those are yeah. Yeah. way beyond my. <laughs> so uh, you guys need to believe in yourself. <laughs> uh, so I had a little bit of knowledge because of the commercial construction. Uh, commercial construction is a lot different. The, the big jobs that I was on, any worries were. Um, and operating and stuff. It w but I had a little bit of skill to be like, okay, this is how things go together. And so I, when I remodeled my first house, I bought books from Home Depot. Um, and back then, YouTube did exist, but it was mostly all homeowners videos. Right. So you had to navigate through like 10 or 15 videos to be like, okay, this guy actually looks like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and that's how I taught myself. Right. So, so what cool. made you take the path of setting up these beds? Because you've got this great organization going versus just flipping the houses, selling them and pocketing all the money and building your own little miniature estate empire. Because what you're doing is far more altruistic you than saw, that. Well, you saw that, didn't you see? I mean, let me let me let me add the, to the question. You saw this first firsthand. You were a customer, and you turned it around, right? Yeah, yeah. I was in the recovery house, and that's yeah. what helped me turn my life around. So, um, back. Uh, so we're talking about 2012. I had my first few houses. The economy was still. Uh, 
pretty bad as far as housing goes. So I could have sold my first house and probably made a profit and started flipping then, but uh, that wasn't really in the mindset. It was just, you know, making, you know, five or $600 over a house every month and, and managing it myself. Um, At this time, did you see this being scalable or did you kind of just... Oh yeah, I'm a visionary, so yeah. I always see everything scalable. Sure. Even but, then, yeah, yeah, even even then, uh, and it, I was probably in my mind it was bigger than what it's even been, right? But yeah. uh, I'm grateful Fair it's enough. not as big as I imagined. <laughs> it might have been too much for you, too soon. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. What you can handle is a good thing, you know, right? So, yeah. um, I got another break here, and I'm going to talk about publicize. Um, publicize brought this this week's episode of Felony to you, and it's a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. That's that is press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and serv- or abilities out of which you can construct a PR package that's right for the future of your business. That's right. But, you, you know, you don't, you don't really need a lot of PR right now, right? You're just more, uh, you, you're like uh, going and getting it. You, I mean, what is, where does, how does PR play into your business? Because I know you're here doing this. There's a reason for you to do this. It, this may open some, you know, eventually open up some sort of door for you or whatever. But you also do this out of passion. So tell me. So what do you mean by PR? Are well, you word of mouth or what's getting the word out about your organization? It's all word of mouth. It, it always has been. Relationships, right? Yeah, relationships with other organizations in town. Um, and... I have staff that goes to certain meetings and does networking and, and stuff like that. But once you start getting a certain amount of guys or, or ladies in your house, they start talking to other people in the community trying to find the same type of housing. So it kind of spreads and it kind of controls itself in a way. Um, so uh, from from where we're at now, uh, it's... We don't even do any advertising. Uh, it's it's all word of mouth, and we've been mostly self-funded. Uh, some other organizations in town they get state funding. We do not. Some of our people that are in the houses they will get state funded for like a month or two for their first month in. But other than that, they usually take care of their own their own rent. Wow. So, um, Billy, I mean, I know you even have websites and. Not even in commission right now. Yeah, they're not. They're they're down. Yeah, I made cheap websites, so yeah. that be a lesson learned. The, Always go with the professional. Right. <laughs> and, well, but then, did you have the ability? Did you have the money to hire a professional? Or I do have the ability. Now you do. But did I, you at the time? No, not at the time. Okay. Yeah, I was always trying to make stuff myself sure. and and do every step. Well, along did your the way. website do anything for you, or was it a complete waste of time? It was. Eh, it was. It's good for a splash page to for somebody to look up at your company, see your phone number, and and give you a call. Other than that, we had some pictures of the houses uh, up on there, and and for my contractor company, I had pictures of jobs and houses that I had flipped, um, and. Uh, 
it, it helps, but it's embarrassing now that I don't right. because of the, the size that I am. And it, but sure. I just don't really well, need Well, you're a one-man band almost. You know, I know you do you have... You have employees, though. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not a one-man band anymore. Yeah. Um, I do have uh, a great lady that manages the recovery houses and, and takes care of all the office work and, and filling rooms. Is she and an employee or is she a contractor? She's an employee. Okay. And, uh, and for the construction side of things, uh, I got a guy that runs the crew on site, and then I work with him and, and manage the projects that I'm doing there. Which yeah. I don't even think we've gotten gotten into me flipping yet. <laughs> well, well, we are approaching. What do you What do you think, Todd? Well, that's and that was what I wanted to, to sort of venture into because you know you see these commercials, a lot of those infomercials with people talking about doing this, or you see the shows on the different you know networks like A and E and everything else like that with the flip this house and everything. It makes it look like you can just hop in and it's a piece of cake and it happens. What's the reality of it? Because this is something I know I've sat yeah. with guys inside that have seen these things on television and they go, oh, I could just I could just do that. And it's not Maybe one or two of them can. And, and yeah. they can. But it's what does it take? I mean, yeah, yeah. what's what's the mechanism behind it? And what does it take out of you each time? Uh, well, it takes a lot of management on on my end. Um, it's for me. It hasn't been like the TV shows. I, I like watching them and they're fun to, to see. But. You know, they're like, oh, this project took six weeks, and they redid the entire house, and I'm just like, man, I, they, I they am not that good. <laughs> you know, I don't well, have that many people trying to schedule in that tight to, to manage well, all think this. about it. You're doing a lot more than that. You're, you're, uh, how can you possibly work that fast uh, with what you have and all the things you're doing? I mean, you're managing existing properties yeah. and existing going concerns. So... Um, you know, if you just had, if you spent all your time flipping houses, it'd be a different thing, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, so go ahead and tell us, uh, give us a story about flipping houses. All right. So, um, when uh, I had opened up a few recovery houses at this point, I went to Chicago. Um, I put all my tools in the back of a truck. Uh, I was told that there was cheap houses in Chicago. I looked it up online, looked like there was. And so I'm like, okay, well, I've got 30 grand. I'm going to go buy a house in Chicago. And uh, I did that. I turned the first one into a recovery house, um, started collecting the rent, the monthly rent. Then I went and bought a second one in Chicago for another 30 grand. And I rehabbed that one. And that was my first flip house. And that was 2013. And um, when I put that house on the market, I put my other Chicago house on the market and I was going to use all the funds from my profits to start doing real estate back here on the West Coast. Flipping? Yep. Mm -hmm. to, uh, flip houses. And over here on the West Coast, it's a lot more expensive. So um, so, I, so I came back over here and uh, I flipped another house in Centralia, Washington. And then I came back to Portland and I think I got a house and... Uh, so I'm like 2014, and I had flipped a couple. I was still opening up recovery houses because opportunities to rent out big houses were still coming my way. Um, and uh, But it, I had some people approach me, some funders, and say, hey, we'll fund you this. You can put down a down payment. We'll loan you the rest of the money. And so that's when my flipping business actually took off. And that wasn't like just making like five or six hundred dollars a month over a house like the recovery housing was. Uh, this would actually 
you know, I could create a lifestyle equity, equity, off of this, right? I, more equity, right? Yeah, I was creating sweat equity, and I was buying undervalued properties and selling them for a premium. And uh, then I was able to do more once the funders came along and said, "Hey, we'll we'll loan you this money, put this much skin in the game, and we'll you can." buy this many houses. And so I started doing multiple houses at a time. I was able to hire a crew and keep them employed. And, uh, so how did you, um, keep the, you know, how did, okay. What was, what kind of deals do you get from these folks that, um, are funding you? Uh, are they, they're not just, uh, loaning you money. They're, they're taking equity on the business and you're getting yours from work. They're, so they have um, security in the property itself that I purchase, and they do get high interest payments, and they also get points. So, oh, so it's hard money. It's hard money. Okay. And uh, so, you know, they're making like twenty thousand dollars by Lo- the end of the project. Loan sharks. Yeah. Basically. So they're making like twenty thousand, but they don't get an equity of the the profit that I make, and they also still get paid if I lose money on the project. That's the rub. Is to make sure Those guys lose. are guaranteed winners. Yep. Aren't they? Yep. Well, you know, and that's reality of life, right? Hey, it helps me out. Yeah. It helped me make a lot of money. Yeah. So, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you have to work with people sometimes. I mean, it's not always all about yourself. And sometimes you have to spread the piece of the pie to make things work better. Absolutely. And that's a great is, way to look at it. And this is what you've done to build up your bed space for what you've got going on. And how many beds are you up to now? Uh, we're over 120. Yeah, I mean, last time I talked to you, I think you were just over 100. Now you're 120. Yeah, we're actually, we're at 135, but we shut a house down, and um, we haven't opened up another one yet, so we're down to 120. Why did you shut it down, or do you want to talk about it? Uh, there was just some problems with the building itself, some code issues that the city wanted to bring up. and uh, So you moved those people into a different housing? We or? Yeah, we shut that house down and moved... Moved, some of them moved out of our organization, and some of them moved to one of our other houses. And uh, the the landlord didn't want to help with the things that needed to be taken care of by the city, so it just didn't work out. I see. So your actual um, ownership of properties is is what now? What? How do you, how does your equity situation look? So uh, two of the properties I have an owner carry contract on. And then I have my my flip properties. I have a, a full rehab that I'm doing in Lentz right now. I own that house. And I have two other lots that I'm dividing. So I'll have a total of four lots once those are divided. And I'll be building uh, new construction homes on that. And then I also have a, a vacant lot off of 122nd and Sunnyside that I have that I'll probably build a recovery house on eventually. Uh, so... I'm right now. I'm trying to gear more towards building up my recovery house organization and owning the homes that I'm I'm renting out. So this uh, equity house or if, um, this recovery house uh, business is really your main business and your long term business, or you want to do it, both? It's more the long term flipping for me is short term, and mm-hmm. that's what that's what makes me money and it makes me fast money. But uh, when I stop working it stops working, ah. uh, basically. And so the... Income re- property, basically. Yeah, and the, the income property, as far as the recovery housing, that's that's where I want to be so that I can, you know, sit back and I can start enjoying some other things in life, you know, that are important to me. 
And uh, so the idea behind that is that I won't have to feel like I have to flip, you know, six or seven houses a year to make a certain dollar. I only needed so much to get by, and I, I really like traveling. I do a lot mm. of that. And so I, I would like to step back and, and do some other things in life. And um, I don't want to have to flip houses and feel like I'm on a hard hustle for the rest of my life. Right on. Okay, well, you know, I, I, I want to ask you one more question, and then I'm going to let... Todd talk for a little bit. I haven't let him do that that much today. And he deserves to. Uh, I just wanted to ask, say one more thing about balance. You know, I remember you talked about your, you said something in, in something I read about um, balance and you were talking to some, a shrink or somebody uh, and they were like, dude, you need balance. And, uh, and I remember myself in my good old days, um, when I was still really just working my ass off, uh, and people at the farmer's market would come and they'd see me, and they'd always see me adding more to my plate. And, and they're like, dude, they love, you know, they love me, right? But, and they're like, well, you really got to have balance. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't <laughs> I do it. <laughs> but, but eventually you do. And um, that's kind of where I'm at now. But I was just going to say, don't ever, I wanted, if there's one thing I can tell you, don't ever feel regretful about not having balance as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's easy to lose track of that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, Todd, I'm going to let you talk. Well, that's the thing, you know, when talking about the balance, that was actually the question I was going to talk about with you is you finally took a step back and took your mom on a trip. Uh, over to, I believe, Southeast Asia? Yep, Thailand. Yes. And so all of this has allowed you to do that, you know? So so what did that trip mean to you to be able to do this with your mom, to go from her sitting in the front yard watching you get cuffed and put in the back of a car to taking her on a trip like that? What does that do for you inside? Yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, that creates a, a lot of healing for me. Um, I used to be the tr the trouble child out throughout the whole family, and now I'm like the golden child, right? I'm doing things really successful and 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 all this stuff. The prodigal son. And uh, so she's she's really happy. Um, we have never had the chance to do anything like that, and uh, it was it was amazing. There was we didn't spend the entire time. I, I was on a six week trip. She came over for three weeks. We would spend a couple of days together. She would go kind of do her thing, and I would go kind of do my thing. And um, we'd link back up and, and hang out. And uh, I had I was able to uh, chill out on the beach and watch fire dancers and, and just hang out with my mom and enjoy the moment. And uh, we got to stay in some really cool huts and, and locations together and see this part of the world together that... Uh, we've neither one of us have ever seen and uh, for her it was really re rewarding and for me it was really rewarding and and I'm really really grateful that I got a chance to do that a lot of people they lose track of time and uh, even working a normal daily life and they forget that they need to spend time with the, their loved ones and uh, it's easy to do and it's and sometimes it's really hard to afford right to take that time off of work and, and do that um, but that's why I work so hard because I want to be able to take that time off. Sure. So, but you you'll work really hard for a while and then you'll you'll play. Uh, you'll just let go and play, right? Yeah, but that's not. I, I think I was talking to you the other day about it. That's not 
really well balanced for me right yeah. now. I kind of need to stop working yeah. so much and uh, try to be a little bit more balanced even when I'm at home because yeah. I, I have been doing that. Well, that kind of <laughs> gets in the way of your relationships and all, but, uh, and all that. Um, I, I, am the, I am probably the sickest individual. I have been the sickest uh, because I was a workaholic and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy when I am. So um, I, it's a weird thing. I, I've, I've started to value family more, uh, but, you know, I didn't come up with uh, family values and, and all that. So um, it's harder for me to, val- to appreciate, uh, you know, the, that I can take time doing this, you know. So, uh, you know, maybe I can learn that from you. I don't know. Uh, we can work on it together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you you know what? You are uh, an aspiring young fellow. And, I mean, you are young. You don't, you don't realize that probably because you're 33. And when I was 33, I thought I was... I wasn't that young. Yeah, I was young like that. <laughs> I kind of didn't think I was going to yeah. be around. <laughs> uh, but uh, we only have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that uh, that we get to the things that matter that we may not have covered. Now, um, first of all, you did go see, uh, you did go to the Business in a Box, which Business in a Box is kind of a recurring theme around here. We talk about it because we know, we know the the guy who, the great guy who runs that, um, and he is passionate uh, about helping these guys in prison turn their lives around with entrepreneurism and, and the, the concepts that, that go with it. And you went there yesterday or the day before. Yeah, I went there yesterday, and uh, that was a really special experience for me. It's been a while since I've been on the inside, mm-hmm. and um, to sit there with those groups, and those that group of guys, and uh, relate to them, and actually see them relate to me, um, and get something out of my story, uh, is very special. And uh, those guys need help. They need guidance, you know, and they need to find the desire in themselves to be able to go out and do better things with their lives. And that business in a box program is teaching those guys that they can do things that they want or that they're interested in and that they can go and actually achieve that. Mm -hmm. And they're limited in there, but they're, they're getting creative and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, being forced to be creative is also good for the mind. Oh yeah. Putting deadlines on creativity. Yeah, yes. hitting the round, ground running versus walking out and getting getting your feet swept out from underneath you is a huge difference. Absolutely, yeah, and you do, you got to work on it yourself when you're in there. That's a, that's something that is an absolute principle that of, of transformation. You got to start now. Um, there's no time like the present to get started, and so those guys are sitting in there with not a whole lot to do unless they are working on themselves, and that it is an opportunity. Um, do you want to, you want to say any last words? Cause we only have like 30 to 60 seconds for you. No, I, I, um, you know, for the people out there that, uh, are having a hard time and, and maybe they're, they're doubting themselves that, you know, things always change. And, um, even if you're in a good state of mind right now or a bad one, things will always change and you just got to roll with it yeah. and, uh, be accepting of the things that are good for you. You know, acceptance is huge. Acceptance is really radical. Huge. Acceptance is amazing because whatever it is, that's what it is. But it doesn't mean you have to stay that way. If you don't like it, you can change it. 
Yep. So that's radical acceptance and that's humility and this guy and courage and uh, work ethic and this guy, Zach Nolan, um, he embodies those principles uh, in a great way, as does our other uh, guest host, Mr. Todd Brown. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Uh, and Thanks next so. week's guest is Michelle Honeman with WT Fat. It's like WTF, but fat snacks. Join us every week live at 10 a.m. Pacific time at StartupRadioNetwork.com. If you don't join us live, we may visit your house late at night when you least expect it. And guess what we'll do? We're going to make you we're going to make you listen. Breaking and entering Lad's ass. <laughs> Where's Lad at? This I hope Lad's listening. This will be full on breaking and listening. Coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your host Edgar Navas and Claudia Cardenas. Their podcast is usually in Spanish, so Que pasa con mis hermanos y hermanas? Oh, that's the first time that's ever been said right. <laughs> A little college Spanish. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.